chapter 23. We continue our study through Samuel. We'll read verses 1 to 7. 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 to 7. Now, these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For he will not cause to prosper all my, for will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you spoke these words by the power of your Holy Spirit, by your servant David. And we pray that by the power of your spirit that you would come and speak to us that we would hear the voice of David's greater son, our great king, Jesus Christ. We pray that we would hear his voice and know him and follow him and see him high and lifted up and offer our hearts to our Lord Jesus Christ promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Last words, last things. Sixteen years ago, in his second inaugural address, a man who was then president of the United States said, and I quote, It is the policy of the United States to seek and support the growth of democratic movements and institutions in every nation and culture with the ultimate goal of ending tyranny in our world, end quote. As you well know, he was referring to the philosophy guiding the decisions about war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Now, before you get to feeling awkward or uneasy, I assure you I'm not about to make a political speech or critique any administration's foreign policy. All I simply want to do is point out the obvious. There is still tyranny in the world. That's all I have to say about it. There has never been a time 
in the history of the world when there was no tyranny. Many have set about with the goal I just read of ending tyranny in the world. But there has never yet and never will be a form of government invented that is tyrant proof. There never will be a perfect government before the words of this passage before us come to their final fulfillment. These are the last words of David. Though we still have more to learn about David in 2 Samuel, and these last words are a prophecy of the last things. Last words, last things. Now let's look at these last words of David. First, in this passage, we see a perfect ruler. A perfect ruler. Look at verse 3. The rock, the God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Now, in this image David gives of this ruler, we see two things. First, this perfect ruler is just. He is just, he says, in verse 3, because he fears God. You remember Jesus told the parable of the unjust judge and his injustice as the judge resulted from the fact that he feared not God. Beginning of wisdom. Beginning of justice beginning of all things right and righteous is the fear of God. So a ruler will come who will rule justly in the fear of God. Secondly, not only will he be a just ruler, but he will be a life-giving Ruler. Verse 4, it says, He dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass 
to sprout from the earth. Three images from nature. The sun rising. The sun shining. Rain. Making grass to grow. It's a picture of giving life. This is what this ruler will be for his people. You know, nowhere in the New Testament where the civil government is not in the hands of theocratic Israel as it was in the Old Testament, the New Testament does tell believers how to interact with and deal with civil government and civil authorities, but nowhere does it say anything about rulers giving life. It only mentions rulers taking life. Romans 13.4 says of the civil authority... For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. According to the New Testament, the only good, the civil authority can do is not to give life but to take the life of the evildoer. There is no image of a civil government making grass to grow like rain falling on dry ground. No, the testimony of the entire Bible is that these last words of David do not describe something that will happen in this world as we know it. Psalm 2, much as we've referenced Psalm 2 in the life of David, expect you're familiar with it, Probably were already. It says the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Saying let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. This is what the rulers of this world do. They set themselves against the Lord. Well, so that was way back then. Things surely will improve. Revelation chapter 6 describes what will happen at the end of the world. Revelation 6, 15, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals 
and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Kings and rulers of the world will hide themselves trying to flee from the wrath of the Lamb. There will be no perfect ruler until the great King, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes in His glory. We should be looking for no perfect ruler other than Him. We should have no expectations of a perfect ruler or a perfect government or system, form of government until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. This is a prophecy of the perfect ruler. Secondly, in this passage, we see an exclusive kingdom, an exclusive kingdom. Look at verse 6. But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear. And they're utterly consumed with fire. Of course, the rage, all the rage today is inclusion. We hear all kinds of talk about inclusion and being inclusive. The scripture tells us that there is an exclusive element to the kingdom of God. He says, worthless men are all like thorns thrown away. The end of verse 7, they are utterly consumed with fire. There are those who will submit to this true king. Those who will bow their knee. Those who will, as Psalm 2 says, kiss the son. Lest he be angry when his wrath is kindled but a little. There are those that will receive and give their lives to this true king. There are those who will receive 
his kingdom. And there are those who will be utterly consumed with fire. Again, this runs throughout the scripture. The last chapter of scripture says Revelation 22:14 Blessed are those who wash their robes so they might have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates that is they may enter heaven outside not in heaven are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. He goes on to say, if anyone takes away from the words of The book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Jesus said, narrow is the gate and hard is the road that leads to life and few there be that find it. Broad is the gate And easy is the path that leads to destruction. And many there be that find it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's a narrow gate. There is only one way. And it's a hard road of discipleship that leads to life. Worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away. They're utterly consumed with fire. So we see a perfect ruler. We see an exclusive kingdom. And thirdly and finally in this passage, we see a sure thing. A sure thing. Look at verse 1. Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me. Now look at verse five. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and secure. For he will not, will he not cause to prosper all my help? And my desire. Now, you notice that the the text tells us twice that this is an oracle of David, 
Oracle meaning a word that came from God. Then it tells us that he was anointed. And then when David speaks in verses 2 and 3, he says, the spirit of the Lord is speaking by me. Then he says, his word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, Four times he says, this is from God. This is a divine revelation. Why is David so repetitive? Says these are his last words. He's just getting up in years and repeating himself. David wants to emphasize that God said this because it's really going to happen because what he is prophesying is something that sounds too good to be true. A perfect ruler. You know, we've, we've all had rulers. Whether national at the highest level of the federal government or the state government that we had some hope for them. If we're honest, we may admit, and it's sinful, that we may have hope in them. But at the least, we had some hope for them. And have disappointed us. The ones that seemed like they had it together all turn out to be a disappointment. So a prophecy, a promise that there is a perfect rule, ruler coming, who will be just who will fear God and will give life to his people, sounds too good to be true. So David emphasizes again and again, God really told me this would happen. As Dr. Davis says, how welcome this note of certainty should be for God's people. One could not look at the flux and flops of history and deduce that a righteous ruler over mankind is coming to reign. Our world seems to be plunging to chaos rather than rising to civilization, wallowing in oppression rather than finding justice. You know, he wrote those words about 30, 35 years ago. Many of the Lord's own people walk through their personal lives riddled with uncertainties, wondering how their apparently senseless circumstances have a purpose in divine wisdom. We could never infer kingdom hope from personal experience. David, however, tells us it is a matter of divine revelation. Hence, the coming kingdom is not a political proposal, but divine certainty. 
God's people in this world seldom have circumstantial certainty, but we have kingdom certainty. You could not look around you, he's saying, at the circumstances in this world without God giving you the inside story. You could not deduce, I could not deduce on my own that a perfect ruler and a perfect king is coming. So David tells us again and again, God told me this. It's going to happen. And there in verse 5, he says, David says, this will happen because God has made an everlasting covenant. The covenant with David. You remember back in chapter 7, God had said to David, I will make you a house. I'll build your house and your descendant. The house and lineage of David will be on the throne forever. And Jesus Christ was born of the house and lineage of David and he shall reign forever and ever. This will happen because God bound himself by an oath to his servant David that it would happen. This is a certainty. Because Jesus Christ fulfilled God's oath to his servant. Jesus fulfilled it. That's why this is a sure thing. Jesus was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, but declared the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. In his death, he shed his blood that fulfilled all the covenants, all the promises God made. And thus, he was raised, he was highly exalted, and given the name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is coming. He is coming on clouds of glory. And on that day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is the Lord and King, the perfect ruler. For some, that will be the first act of glory. For others, it will be the first cry of eternal damnation. There's a perfect king coming.
He has an exclusive kingdom. You must come through him. And it is a sure thing for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.